This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Here's the song that we'd like to do for all the younger set of people, the teenagers and what have you. This one's called Vacation Zone. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and you may call it summer, but around these parts, we refer to these months as here's where we accidentally break the budget. To help you avoid wallet-induced trauma, on today's show, we'll share some inspiration Say hello to a guy who went from a seedy motel upbringing in Las Vegas to partnering with a guy named Mark Cuban. It's Sean Patel. Plus, as today's starter course, we'll arm wrestle over new proposed legislation in Washington. Is it any good? And as a side dish, we'll throw out the Haven Lifeline to a lucky listener and answer a bonus question from the mailbag. And of course, we'll wash it all down with my incredible trivia. And now, two guys who have their napkins ready and are ready to dive into another eight weeks of shows. It's Joe and O-J-J-J-J-G. And we're back. Happy post-4th of July, now sliding into the center of summer. And uh, we're happy to be here with you. I'm Joe Salcihi, Average Joe Money on Twitter, just so you know which voice is which. And across the card table from me, it's my good pal, OG. How many days past 4th of July is it that you're allowed to continue to do fireworks before your neighbors go, please stop? Well, that and the trauma to every animal in the neighborhood. So I'm past the days allowed, basically? You may be just slightly past the days. Yeah, neighbors neighbors might be upset. But that's never stopped you before. I mean, why would that stop you now? I always apologize with a nice batch of fresh cookies or something. Like, sorry for scaring everyone in the neighborhood again. Here's a bag of cookies. I could see you like lighting the fuse and going, Mrs. OG, create some, make some cookies. We actually did that. I'll tell a story about that later. All right. Well, you know what I'm going to tell a story about right now? A big story about Away, because this episode of Stacky Benjamins is brought to you by Away. Away makes first-class luggage at coach prices that allow you to charge your phone on the go. For 20 bucks off a suitcase, how about that? Go to waytravel.com forward slash SB20 and use the promo code SB20. Great, though, that we've got away here for the summer because there's no better time to be traveling with your podcast than during the summer, especially in Michigan. Fantastic week with friends here in northern Michigan this last week while OG was uh, just juggling the plans nonstop. 
It's the summer of changes. How's that? Well, that's fun. We got a summer of changes, eight weeks of phenomenal content. Not that that's any change, because I feel like we've been on a real roll lately with our guests, but you should see who we've got coming up. But especially today, what an inspiring story. Sean Patel grew up in a seedy motel in Las Vegas and uh, often saw a lot of stuff that uh, little kids, a lot of little kids don't see. Little slice of Americana, OG, that uh, a lot of young kids maybe don't grow up with. And uh, that didn't stop him from just becoming just an incredible star. And we've got him on today's show. But first, we got a couple headlines, one involving Washington, which is always a fun discussion. So let's get the party started. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show, our stacking Benjamin's headlines. Our first headline comes to us from the New York Times. This is written by Tara Siegel Bernard. I wanted to get your take on this, OG. So you remember that act going through Congress called the Secure Act, the one that we've been talking about a little bit on the show, but I know most experts absolutely hates the word you're looking for. Are you kidding me? Most experts I've read love it. Ah, okay. Just phenomenal stuff in here. And then I Did see you use air that, quotes around the word experts or I'm confused. What have you mostly read? People don't like it. I just assume most people don't like it because of how trashy it is, but I guess maybe this is the Kool-Aid that everybody has to drink. So, oh, I'll, I'll say I like it too. It's awesome. It's amazing. Thank you, Congress. What, why is it trashy? Because of the fact that now insurance companies can get into 401ks and turn them into annuities. See, I find that, well, let's talk about that because actually that's what I find amazing. The Setting Every Community Up for Retirement Enhancement Act of 2019 would eliminate some of the liability for employers who add annuities to the menu of options from their 401k plans. Americans may soon see welcome changes to the rules governing their retirement savings plans, including the ability to contribute to their IRAs longer or tap them to help pay for the arrival of a new child. But the same bipartisan bill could also make retirement planning even more confusing, particularly for workers hoping to recreate the pensions of a bygone era. Among the two dozen or so rule changes is a provision that's strongly supported by insurance companies, but as consumer advocates worried, it would eliminate some of the liability for employers who add annuities to the menu of options for their 401k plans, including expensive and complex products that purport to offer the peace of mind of a guaranteed income stream. There will come a time, this is a quote from Barbara Roper, Director of Investor Protection at the Consumer Federation of America, there will come a time when we'll point back to this as the start of a trend toward higher cost annuities being offered in 401k plans to the detriment of retirement savers. Yeah, exactly. This is terrible. Think of it this way. So the the insurance company has already got their fingers in every teacher's retirement plan across the country, and they've done such a tremendously awesome job that we're now going to allow them to get into the rest of the country's retirement plans. This is definitely 100% sponsored by the insurance agencies or insurance companies, I'm sure. Oh, but listen, but annuities can be part of a wealth fund founded retirement strategy. Typically, workers invest in low cost stock and bond funds to build a nest egg, then use some of that money to buy a simple annuity, which provides regular checks for the rest of their lives. Experts say some variation of the strategy is usually the most efficient approach to recreating a paycheck in retirement. Most efficient. You can't outlive it. It's incredibly simple. Have you known an insurance company to create a simple annuity product for people? I know that most insurance companies have 
simple products. I also know that the ones that get shoved down people's throat by insurance agents are not those products. And when I look at where the growth has been lately in the annuity field, the annuity field, by the way, that is shrinking incredibly as more and more people get attuned to the fact that there's these high cost, schlocky piece of junk things that annuity salesmen are schlocking. You're seeing the growth in that industry toward these simple annuities. And frankly, I think that having them in a plan for somebody, for somebody like my parents, as an example, that no matter how, how much I talk about low cost investing or, or, or whatever, or you've had, you've even had clients like this. OG. they're not going to get it no matter what having a low cost piece of their portfolio that they can't outlive almost like we talked about just before the break with Rosalie Lopez. Okay. Yeah. It's going to be totally overused and oversubscribed. I suspect that there are very, 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 very minute percentage of the population that will benefit from this. The largest benefit will come to the insurance carriers and the insurance agents. It's going to get ugly. I don't, I don't think any of this is beneficial. People already have an annuity. It's called Social Security. It's already there. It's already 20 to 40% of, of your income. And it's an annuity that keeps on growing, which is one of the largest issues with it. You get this false sense of security at 65 that, okay, my expenses are $5,000 a month. I'm just going to go get a $5,000 a month annuity. Assume for a second that you even live long enough to make that a profitable transaction. Fine. But that $5,000 a month becomes obsolete in a year from now. Now you need $5,150 a month. I couldn't, I couldn't, I just couldn't disagree more. I couldn't disagree any more heartily. Um, (laughs) Well, even the article you suggested says that the person thinks that it's a really bad thing. Well, okay. Because that line from that person agrees with the slant that the author of the piece talks about. Oh, okay. But then later on in the same piece, it says annuities can be part of a well-founded retirement strategy. Typically, Reading this again, because apparently you glossed over this piece of the argument, workers invest in low-cost stock and bond funds to build a nest egg, then use some of that money to buy a simple annuity, which provides regular checks for the rest of their lives. Mm -hmm. If we build it that way, we got a huge retirement problem in America. And I don't think getting rid of the option to have a pension as part of our 401k plan, like dumping that option, I don't understand what's good about that. I would suggest that that option still exists, right? Why can't you? How does so? So so you retire. So you're talking about your folks, right? So your folks retire. They've amassed X dollars in the in their four hundred one k through low cost simple investing, and then they say, "I would like to turn a part of that into a stream of income that already exists." You put it in an annuity. You don't need to do it inside of your four hundred one k. So what's the added benefit that it gets to stay in your four hundred one k now? To what end? There's no legal protection differences, profound legal protection differences anyway. How many workers get the stuff that you're talking about? This is my frustration. We've talked about education in schools, right? We've also talked about the fact that that doesn't flip and work. No. Like study after study shows, everybody says, I want more education. And then we go and we look at education. That doesn't work. The creator of the 401k plan himself has talked about what a disaster it's been. So we haven't had any of this retirement security at all. So what's the strategy 
for the people who aren't going to ever, no matter what you do, get there. Well, I, I just don't see how this helps that anyway, because it's still it's it doesn't it doesn't solve that problem. No, because what you have now is an opportunity to have that plan to have the annuity plan directly in you get the opportunity to have fiduciary controls on what annuities are in the plan and which ones aren't. And at the very least, I've got an HR department involved in deciding which piece of this is there versus what I have now is I got the vultures at the gate. And then at the same time, and you and I both know this at the same time, there's a huge reason why the lifetime income option doesn't exist in the RIA world. There's a big one, and it's the one that that side doesn't want to talk about at all. They want to talk about why annuities are horrible, which I get. Don't get me wrong. I'm not Joe Annuity Apologist, but at the same time, there's a reason why RIAs do not want to talk about the other side of this equation, the less sexy side, which is another reason why they don't even recommend the simple annuities that are out there, the ones that are part of the solution, not part of the problem. You know what it is, and I know what it is, and it's the fact that they can't get paid on that. Well, that's not true. So even though I can get paid on an annuity no, the same, totally I can get true. paid an annuity the exact same way that I get paid on IRA account at Schwab. There's plenty of fee annuities out there. There's a huge portion of that community that does not get paid and cannot get paid on an annuity. But the way to your point is, up. is that that solution doesn't exist. And I submit that it does. The low cost fee based or fee only annuity does exist already. And it's not being used. So how is allowing, and, and you, you talk about, you know, employers having some responsibility there. They just eliminated the responsibility. Well, they eliminated the legal responsibility. Now, maybe you'll have an HR person who does actively take an active interest in making sure that his or her employees make, you know, has good options. But in the long laundry list of things that HR people deal with, I'm sure that pick good annuity company is not going to be toward the top. So... I think that it doesn't solve the problem that you were talking about. And all it does is open up a larger Pandora's box, I think, of getting all the bad stuff. And I, I would I would agree with you that if you used it appropriately in limited circumstances and you found the right one, it could be helpful for the right person. There's a greater likelihood that, uh, that the people who you're specifically talking about, the folks that don't want to take the time for education or don't have the temperament for it or whatever are just going to get more more taken advantage of. And that's kind of how I fall down on it. The only thing that good, that's good that came out of this is the apparent uh, longer required distribution calculation. So my two cents. The ability to put money in for a longer period of time also. And the ability for small companies to band together. Well, and with the IRS give it, they take it away, right? So then the other side of it is they're also removing the stretch provisions which was probably the best thing that came out of the Pension Protection Act in 2006. And uh, poof, you know, now we have to tax all of our inherited IRA stuff really quickly. So I don't know. I, I don't see it as a really big help personally. I think that uh, I think that the vast majority of people are going to get screwed by it. And, I think the more uh, you can put this stuff in people's face and make it um, – uh, uh, give people a, another option. And also my understanding is you don't have to take the option either. It's just there. Yeah. Okay. But it's already an option. So I don't know. It's not already an option. Not in your 401k. It's not an option. But nobody keeps their 401k when they retire. But why not? Why not? 
I mean, we've seen people ask this question all the time. Well, hey, I'm retiring. I think that I have to get rid of my 401k plan. And then we find out what's in their 401k plan. Their 401k plan is just fine. Mm -hmm. But they've heard so much from the industry, those same vultures you talk about. At the very least, you've got somebody between between you and the biggest mistake that you're probably ever going to make, which is rolling over to an IRA when you probably shouldn't. All right. I see that we agree on that one, so we should probably move on. Our second piece, we are going to agree on this one. This one was sent to us by I'm our- specifically going to disagree just to keep the theme going. Listener and friend, Karen. Well, good. I, I would love for you to disagree with this one. That would be, that would make my day. This uh, comes to us, by the way, thanks, Karen, for uh, sending me this. Comes to us from the Western News. Idaho man charged with fraud, exploitation in Southern Lincoln County. This is in uh, Southern Lincoln County. He didn't do it. Idaho. There it is. A Bonners Ferryman operating financial services in Troy has been charged in Montana's uh, 19th Judicial District Court with multiple felonies related to the sale of annuities to Libby and Troy residents, including exploitation of an older person. According to his website, Kip Hartman operates Hartman Financial and Kootenai Valley Tax with locations at Bonners Ferry and in Troy. The site describes it as having, quote, a gift for developing unique retirement planning strategies that lower taxes and increase net worth. Okay. I like that. So far, so good. Awesome. I'm going to uh, skip down. Uh, but Hartman faces four felony charges in Montana, including conducting insurance transactions without a license. Okay, you can't do that. Transacting business as an investment advisor without a license. Not supposed to do that either. Securities fraud also, and exploitation of an older person. I'm going to disagree with the last one, but the first three, probably pretty slam dunk cases. <laughs> Additionally, Hartman is accused in the court filing of obtaining almost $900,000 from someone over the age of 65 after establishing a trust relationship with her. Okay. This was in addition to funds he received after being appointed her power of attorney. I do frown on that. Why would you make your financial advisor your power of attorney? Well, it's against the rules, but... Rules be damned. Mm -hmm. Unless it's an immediate family member. Very, very, very touchy. Don't do that. The case. According to court documents, Ginny Hartman wrote at least 31 policies for Montana residents with the total premiums paid amounting to over $6 million. Okay. The auditor's office performed a random sampling of those residents looking for products sold by Kip Hartman under his wife's name including the original person who reported irregularities to the auditor's office and the alleged victim of exploitation of an older person. The court documents cite seven individuals to whom Kip Hartman sold products he was not licensed to sell. One Libby resident is alleged to have liquidated $101,000 from her IRA retirement account, which she gave it to Kip Hartman to purchase an annuity. A Troy resident wrote two checks to purchase uh, from Kip Hartman, one for $182,500, which he gave to Kip Hartman, and another for $100,000, which he gave to Ginny Hartman because the defendant was not in the office, according to the filing. So what's the crime here? Like he wasn't licensed? The crime here is that he wasn't licensed to sell any of this stuff. But they're such great products. The good news is that it's probably going to get tossed out anyway because he was. I'm not, not saying a, that every annuity is a phenomenal product, and I'm also not apologizing. We, you and I have ripped the hell out of annuities on this show. I think we can we can be pretty safe on our record there. Well, up until now, when you kind of yank the wheel in a whole different direction, <laughs> they're so great. Let's throw them in 401ks. 
It's like they've worked out so great for teachers in their 403B plans. Let's give them access to the rest of the world. You know where they really should put them? They should put them in that TSP. It's so great. Let's throw it in the TSP while we're at it. Why do we allow crappy mutual funds in a 401k? Why aren't you railing against that, big guy? You should be railing against horrible mutual funds. You'd be railing against these crazy ETF wannabes that use the word index in them that have jacked up fees that are in somebody's somebody's thing. Yeah, but even the most expensive mutual fund pales in comparison to a reasonably cost annuity. Like even the most expensive one. I mean, I get it. You see some 2% ones that are really stupid, but generally you're talking speaking. About, you're talking about a specific type of annuity. On a simple annuity, it's an income stream that you can't outlive. Sure. It's a fixed P. Find me a simple one. You find it. I will. Let me know. Go to find Blueprint one. Income. Go to Blueprint Income right now. There you go. Gotcha. Thank you. You're welcome, Blueprint Income. Just made you the poster boy. But they're out there. Look at look at a TIA annuity. Look at a flipping Fidelity annuity. None of those people are going to be in 401k plans, by the way. How do you know that? What do you talk? Fidelity has more 401k business than anybody else in 401ks. Why? How are you saying why, that? Why would they bite off their nose to spite their face? They already have it. Who are the people that are going to, I'm, I'm just, you know, I could skate where the puck's going. Yeah, you can't outlive the money, but guess what? The money's sure as hell not going to outlive you because if you live 30 years, your purchasing power gets cut by two and a half times over that lifetime. And oh, great news, you're 82 and you just figured out that you're out of money. You are killing me, dude. You, you couldn't be killing me more. I know. Just is what it is. You know, you're introducing stuff that's going to take us seven hours to walk through because you know you're wrong and I know you're <laughs> wrong. And all you're doing is like stirring this pot. I don't, I don't think, no, I, I, I agree. The guy in Montana probably is a criminal. What's the biggest problem in financial planning today? Uh, people don't do it. <laughs> Hope is not a financial plan. It's that we are going to live a hell of a lot longer than we expect to live. So we should That's take so problem. we should take our money out of the thing that has the opportunity to grow with that rising cost People of living. People aren't even putting it in that thing. They're not even coming close to putting it in that thing. That's what you complain about all the time. And yet you've got something that is very simply what people were doing in the 1950s. That we said, hey, guess what, companies? We're going to get rid of all these things. When in the 50s, everybody died when they were 68. So it worked out just magically. Sorry. The lesson... The lesson in this podcast is don't fight a land war in Asia. The second, obviously, don't, don't fight a land war in a one-hour podcast. You're so unbelievably wrong. We'll see. Takeaway number two is check the licenses, I think, and um, make sure you're actually talking to the person, not the person's spouse, who really, who really is the advisor. Sean Patel's got a phenomenal story growing up in uh, not the high rise district of Las Vegas. And I love these stories because I think sometimes we think that circumstances are against us. Oh, gee, we can't do it. There's no way that we can do it. And yet you see the things that Sean Patel has done during his short life already. Just some phenomenal stuff. So let's say hello and hear the story from the man himself, Sean Patel coming down to the basement.
And walking down the stairs to the basement right now, it's our new friend, Sean Patel. Sean, how are you, man? I'm great. How are you, Joe? Well, I'm glad you're here with us. And at your age, you've done more already than a lot of people will do most of their life, which is exciting. And I want to get to that. But but let's start here. Let's talk about where you grew up. You grew up in Las Vegas at a place called the Sky Ranch Motel. I did. Yeah. So I had a pretty interesting upbringing, a little bit different than most people that might have grown up in the suburbs in that I grew up in a small budget motel in Las Vegas. And, you know, when people think of Las Vegas, they immediately get this image of all this glitz and glamour of the strip. Um, My experience with Vegas is the exact opposite of that. It was kind of in the rundown ghetto of Vegas off the strip. That's where my dad ended up purchasing a motel. Uh, when I was very young. And and that's where I grew up. We lived in a two-bedroom living space attached to the front office. And I I sort of helped run the motel as young as as age eight. I was renting rooms and dealing with maintenance men and all that stuff. So it was interesting and, and different. But, you know, I think that's kind of what led me to entrepreneurship as well in that, you know, I was always around growing up in a family business. My dad then purchased the gas station two doors down. And so it was definitely a part of my formidable years to be around business my whole life. When your dad bought the gas station and you were working at the hotel for him, what were some of the early life lessons you got from your parents and and the people around you? Yeah, the biggest lesson I learned from my parents is that the American dream is alive and well. I mean, my dad came from India in the 80s with like $70 in his pocket. Uh, they worked everything from odd jobs at Burger King to call centers. And, you know, just by a ton of hard work, they were able to buy this motel, buy the gas station. Uh, My dad is the hardest working person I know. I mean, he would wake up at 5 a.m. He's also a pharmacist. So he would go to the pharmacy from 6 a.m. to 2 p.m., work at the gas station from 3 p.m. to 8 p.m., and then work at the motel from 9 p.m. to midnight and then wake up and do it all the next day. So when people say I work hard, you know, it's nothing compared to what I saw my dad doing growing up. Well, and you worked hard in school and fact check me if I'm wrong, but you were the valedictorian of your high school. I was. Yeah. So I I worked really hard in school. And and that, again, comes from my parents. I mean, lessons from my parents that education was so, so important to them. The one thing I realized pretty early on when I was like in fifth grade was my parents, they just did not accept B's, you know, like it was A or nothing. And so what I learned, like I loved just playing video games and playing basketball and going to the motel pool. And so like I was just a regular kid and I realized that if I just got an A on all my report cards, my parents would like stop yelling at me. They would get off my back and they would just leave me alone. It was the path of least resistance. Yeah, exactly. So it was just like if I get an A, they like I can just play my video games. And so I just started getting A's very early on because I just wanted to play video games. But eventually that led to to more success. As you mentioned, in high school, I ended up um, becoming valedictorian in my high school, which was uh, a great achievement for me. So that all went great. Did you take any of the AP classes or AP tests? 
I took a few AP exams. Um, you know what's funny is that everyone puts so much emphasis on AP exams, especially I'm sure parents listening have kids taking AP exams. But what's interesting is the AP exams rarely ever get sent to the scores to colleges in admission. Um, so they're not nearly as important as uh, some other standardized tests uh, like the SAT and the ACT, of course. Yeah, that's interesting. What happens, Sean? Do parents not send them? Do people just forget? Do they not take the test? You know, it's just there's no place for it on a lot of college applications. Some high schools will put it on the transcript, but a lot of high schools don't. And so it's interesting that people put so much emphasis on AP exam scores when there a lot of times, you know, you get to the college application and, and they don't even ask you for the scores. But let's talk about the SAT exam. So you show up. Apparently, you studied incredibly hard because, well, tell everybody your SAT score. Yeah. So I I ended up getting a perfect SAT score. And when people hear that, they immediately think I'm a genius. But I am the farthest thing from a genius. Like I said, I loved video games, basketball, and going to the pool when I was a kid. So like, I just liked being a kid. But in high school, you know, the first SAT I ever took I got a round average, I mean, a little bit above. Uh, Now, the SAT was on the 2400 scale when I I took the SAT. And this is a little different than what probably most people are used to, which is the 1600 scale. So anyway, I got around a 17, it was 1760 was the score. So average was 1500 out of 2400. So I wasn't too much above it. You know, that just wasn't good enough for my parents. It wasn't good enough for me. It wasn't where I wanted to be with um, some of the colleges I was looking at. And so I basically locked myself in the library for an entire summer between my junior and senior year of high school. And I studied hundreds of hours for this exam on my own. uh, Just a second, just to clarify, Sean, did you study past tests? Did you study how people studied for the test? What did you do? Yeah. So I basically took about 30 practice exams and I would go through every single question as to why I got it right, why I got it wrong. And I kept this notebook where I would start developing my own strategies, actually. So like, for example, one really interesting thing that I noticed as I was taking the SAT is there's an essay portion now. And on the essay, I realized that if I write the exact same essay, like that it's templated out almost in the same format with the same sentences, no matter what topic they threw at me. I mean, this template would get a near perfect score almost every single time. And so I started developing these things in my notebook and I ended up getting a perfect SAT score at the beginning of my senior year. And a perfect SAT is pretty rare. I mean, out of the 10 million students that took the 2400 version of the exam, about 2,000 have, and so that's 0.02%, and it totally changed my life. I mean, I got into prestigious colleges. I won half a million dollars in scholarship offers. I even got to meet the president of the United States, who um, I'm dating myself a little bit, but it was George Bush. Everyone thinks it was Barack Obama, but I'm not that young. And so (laughs) it was a really cool experience for me. But although you got into a lot of great schools, You didn't get into the Ivy League schools, and that surprised me. Yeah, yeah. So it was interesting. Um, And, you know, there's all kinds of actual lawsuits now, right, by Asian students that uh, are in the news about 
being reverse discriminated against, like because their scores are great and their grades are great, you know, because I was valedictorian at a perfect score and I didn't get into Harvard, Princeton or Stanford. I was waitlisted at all of them. Part of that, I think, was I didn't have the best college application essay. I didn't put together the great greatest personal statement. You know, like I said, I was, I was a kid growing up in a motel with immigrant parents. I didn't know anything about college admission consultants and, you know, really polishing your application. I was like, I've got good grades and I've got a good SAT score. I should get in anywhere. And, and that was a little too cocky of me. But, but still, Sean, uh, you know, and, and not to cut you off here, because I get what you're saying, but this still shows a little bit of privilege for some people, doesn't it? I mean, some people have parents who have the ability to go out and uh, get tutors for kids. They're surrounded by people who academically have the same expectations that they have. They talk about certain things. They know what resources are available. Oh, of course. Yeah. I mean, I'll be the first person to tell you, I mean, I'm the owner of a test prep company that privilege is a huge part of college admissions. And I think college admissions is unfair because of that. You know, I mean, this has been a big news story this year, which is, is there a real disadvantage to um, college admissions for the people that can't afford it or against the wealthy, right? So yes, you know, I think test prep is part of the problem, but there's, there's a larger problem that's more systemic in, in the system. You went from there into medical school? So I went from there into a direct medical program. Yeah. So what it was, was they guaranteed us admission into medical school. You still had to go through like college and pre-med, but this was at the University of Southern California. It was an amazing deal. I mean, basically, uh, they guaranteed me admission into medical school and I didn't have to get really high grades in college. I didn't have to get a high MCAT score. I didn't have to do volunteering or research that a typical pre-med looking to go to medical school was. It's kind of like if I were in the eighth grade and someone guaranteed me admission into Stanford or Harvard, that was the deal I took. It was an amazing deal. And so, you know, I got to really enjoy my undergrad experience, you know, not have to stress so much about applying to medical school, which was great. Where did you make the switch away from medicine and toward becoming an entrepreneur? So I really stumbled onto entrepreneurship. I mean, I did not plan on being the owner of Prep Expert, this test preparation company. What I, my original plan had always been was I was like, it'll be really cool if, you know, I could write a book during college to help other students, other high school students improve their SAT scores and change their lives the way that I changed my life. You know, I was like, it'll be the first book published by a perfect score student It'll be awesome. Back then, self-publishing wasn't as big. This was like around 2010, 2009 time that I was thinking about this idea. How old were you then? I was 20. I was 20 years old at this time. So it was a couple of years after high school. Okay. So yeah. you're in your sophomore or junior year at that time. Do you remember where you were? You like walk into class or something and had this great idea. Hey, I should do this. You know what? I actually had the idea um, in high school, like after I got the perfect SAT score, it wasn't until I was 20 in college that I was like, you know what, I'm a couple years away from medical school. I'm going to have no life pretty soon in med school. I should probably write this book before I head to med school. You know, that idea came to me early, but sometimes I think entrepreneurs don't execute on many of their ideas. And sometimes you never execute on it. For me, I, ex I did execute on it, but a couple years later. 
And so, uh, you know, I put together this book proposal and I thought it was going to be awesome. And I pitched it to a hundred literary agents and publishers about this book that I wanted to write. Every single one rejected me. I mean, they said the SAT prep market is too competitive. They said, you know, I didn't have a platform as a first time author to write the book. And so, you know, I was pretty down at that point. Like I'd been pitching it for about a year. I was in my senior year of college and I was like, I have hundreds of pages of material that I've written. So what should I do with it? Well, I decided to take all that curriculum and all that book material I'd written and use it as the curriculum for some test prep courses. I thought I'll teach some courses before I go to medical school in the summer, make some money to help pay for medical school, and that'll be it. Well, when I taught those first courses, I mean, the students had an average SAT score improvement of nearly 400 points to their scores. Holy cow. Yeah, it was crazy because like it was equivalent to taking a student who's in the 50th percentile and taking them to the 90th percentile. And so in that pilot class of 18 kids that I taught, after people heard about their score improvements, I had parents knocking down the door for more courses. That's when I started training instructors to teach my material. And uh, really, the business started took off from there. But, you know, my original idea was not to start a business. It was to write a book. And what's funny is after McGraw-Hill, the world's largest education publisher, saw what I was putting together with Prep Expert, they came back, offered me the book deal. Uh, we did the book. Um, the book went number one on Amazon for SAT prep. It sold tens of thousands of copies. And so it was just like a good lesson in that, you know, you could be rejected a hundred times and you can still be successful. And, and, you know, failure is really the necessary evil of entrepreneurship. Did they remember you from your failed attempt to have a book published with them? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they remember. Me. It was funny because the same acquisitions editor at McGraw-Hill that had originally rejected it then saw my website with the courses and the score improvements and the kids' testimonials about how much they were improving their scores that they were like, OK, now you're actually doing something with your life. <laughs> we'll give you a book deal. Well, this is a lot to me, Sean, about testing your ideas first, right? I mean, the fact that now you had a platform when they said you didn't have a platform in the past, it turned out that they really weren't wrong. Now you had a play tested idea. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's another great lesson is that you have to test your ideas on your own before you can make them huge. And, you know, I, I didn't realize what I was doing, but what I was doing was piloting it in a small platform first and then before I made it into an, uh, you know, a book that was nationally distributed, uh, people wanted to see that I created my own platform. And you know, I think that that's another lesson is just to stop waiting for handouts from other people. You know, like you always have the opportunity as an entrepreneur who has an idea to test your ideas on your own. It doesn't usually take a lot of money, um, but what happens is people wait for you know investors or people with power or connections to try to get them where they want to go. But in reality, they don't realize that you can test your idea on a small scale first and do like a minimum viable product, which is really what I was testing at the time, although I didn't know it. I want to transition to mentorship because you have a mentor, also a business partner who a few people listening to the show might know. But as a lead into that, let's talk about moving away from medicine. You, you decided to move away from 
medicine, I think. Was that because of the fact that the business was working so well? Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, what was interesting is the business was doing incredibly well the first few years that we were running the business. You know, I was in medical school and then I had instructors teaching the courses and, you know, we were doubling our revenue year over year and we did zero marketing. And so that was a great lesson as to, you know, the best form of marketing is really word of mouth. You know, it's like, why were we doubling in revenue? It's because people were telling other kids about the courses or other parents about the courses, about the score improvements. And so, you know, with no effort at all, you know, I built up this business that was doing a few hundred thousand dollars in revenue just by having great courses uh, annually. And so that was really cool. And you know, I was in medical school and then again, I was thinking, well, you know, I'm going to be going to residency soon and in residency, I'll have even less of a life. And so um, I should probably scale this business and try to make it something more than just a small, uh, you know, it was just a local business in Las Vegas, a small test prep course there. How can I do that? Well, one is I need to get a formal business education to scale this. Like I know nothing about management. I know nothing about operations, know nothing about accounting, all these. So I think like that would be really great. So that's when I decided to take a leave of absence from medical school at USC for two years to do my MBA at Yale. And the reason I chose the Yale program was they offered a great platform for entrepreneurs to launch businesses. So like instead of doing a summer internship at Goldman Sachs Finance, like many of my classmates, I just worked on my business. And that really helped me scale it. I mean, that was the summer I went on Shark Tank. It was really like totally game changing and the right move at the time for me to take two years to not only get my MBA, but really use that as a platform to grow and scale the business. We spoke recently to another entrepreneur, Tanya Van Court, about her experience on Shark Tank. So I'm not going to ask you for the blow by blow of that. But what made you decide to go on Shark Tank in the first place? I mean, where was the impetus for that? You know, what's really funny is back when I was in business school, I was just watching a ton of Shark Tank on my own. Like I just watch it when I'm eating and stuff like that. You know, one day this light bulb just went off in my head and I was like, I have a small business that would do really well on this show. You know, like I just didn't really think about it until it just came to me that I could probably be on Shark Tank. And so then I looked up, you know, how do you audition and how do you get on Shark Tank? And I saw that they were having auditions in New York City in like March of this was March of 2015. So I was like, okay, I'll take the two hour train down from Connecticut where I was to to New York. And of course, you know, I'm the last person in line because I'm late to everything. And um, I'm like person number 500 in this line. And I I'm basically stand in New York for nine hours waiting to give this one minute pitch to a casting call producer. And I'm like, I'm a total idiot. Like, why did I make this trip down here? There's no way I'm going to get on the show. And of course, when I'm pitching, the casting call producer is totally stone cold faced, like looks like he's not interested in anything I'm saying until the very last moment I pull out the book that I had written. And it's funny. It's the SAT prep book. I I pull it out. He sees my face on it. It's the McGraw-Hill book. And his eyes light up. He can't believe I'm a published author. 
and he thinks it's so cool. And I give him the book. You know, what's funny is if I didn't have that book deal and I didn't get that book, which I originally wanted, I don't think I would have gotten on Shark Tank because he was so impressed with that, that within two weeks, I got a call to do a video audition. And then from the video audition that I put together. So this was we went from March as the original audition. I was literally pitching the sharks in June. So this was June. So it was like within three months, I was standing in front of all of the sharks and pitching. So, I mean, it was really, really quick. Wow. So you ultimately end up working with Mark Cuban. Tell me a little bit about working with him and what he brought to the table. Um, Mark Cuban is the best shark to get. I'll say that hands down. He has so many resources. So one thing is when you partner with Mark Cuban, you get a couple of things. You get one access to Mark Cuban directly as an advisor, as a mentor, uh, we email weekly with updates and he gives me his take on pieces of the business. And then the other thing is not only do you get access to Mark Cuban, but you get access to Mark Cuban companies. So I work with everyone at Mark Cuban companies from the business development team to the marketing team, their accounting team when our, uh, you know, our books were a mess, um, you know, and then they help us with partnerships with Amazon. So you get really both aspects, both with Mark Cuban, as well as with all of the high level resources that come with his team. Uh, Mark's been just like the best partner to have. One is like, obviously, the marketing aspect is great. Um, He's constantly, he nominated me for Inc. Magazine 30 under 30. He'll get me in CNBC. He'll tweet stuff to his 7 million followers about prep expert in our company. The coolest thing I think that working with Mark Cuban was when, um, you know, I told Mark I was working on it. I got a new book opportunity, which was this book that I had been approached about for entrepreneurship for kids. And immediately he, he emailed me back. He was like, you know, I'd like to co-author the book with you and we'll write it together. And I was like, are you kidding me? Like, that's pretty cool. So we put out a book. It's called Kids Startup. It teaches kids about how to become entrepreneurs early. That's just been the coolest experience as well. And we really have that shared aspect. I mean, Mark Cuban, in the book, he talks about how he used to go door to door selling garbage bags and selling shoelaces. And, you know, when I was a kid in elementary school, I also would like, instead of trading Pokemon cards, I would start selling them to my friends. I would sell like burned music CDs. I started selling used iPhones in college and high school. So like, I didn't really know it, but I was always an entrepreneur who was like hustling and selling things, but I never considered myself an entrepreneur because when you're a kid growing up, when someone asks a kid, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? They usually say something like doctor, engineer, fireman, something like that. But like no one ever says entrepreneur. So that's really the point of the book and why Mark was so passionate about it too, is like you got to get kids selling things, whether it's like car washes or lemonade stands early to build that entrepreneurial spirit and get that work ethic. Wow. That's great. Hey, we'll link to the book on our show notes page here at stackybenjamins.com. All right. Last question, Sean, we have a lot of stackers here that would like to qualify for better colleges, get into school, their dreams. For me, it's funny. I actually took the, uh, an ACT prep course and did very well on that. Then I decided I didn't need the SAT prep course because I thought that the lessons would translate. Maybe I should have taken the other because I did much, much worse on the SAT than I did the ACT. 
So maybe I maybe I should have rethought that strategy. I think that works. You know, I actually tell kids just pick one test and do really well at it. I never took the ACT and it didn't affect me. Um, so yeah, Prep Expert is my test preparation company. We offer six week online virtual classes for the SAT and the ACT, which are the college admission tests. The score improvements we get after teaching students. 100 amazing strategies for these tests and using the best instructors who have all scored in the 99th percentile are incredible. You know, on the SAT, any student who completes our course gets an average score improvement of 200 points. Um, and that's back on the 1600 scale. So that's really, really Im- impressive because, of course, the SAT went back from 2400 back to 1600. I know it's confusing. And then on the ACT, a student that finishes our ACT course, they'll get about a four point score improvement. And I mean, we've had kids go to every prestigious college win millions of dollars of scholarships. Um, you know, and, you know, talking about finance and the business side of it, I mean, there's no better return on investment than test prep when it comes to scholarships. I mean, I mentioned, you know, my SAT score got me a half a million dollars in college scholarships. I mean, I've had a student go through prep expert, you know, he spent $600 on the course and he ended up getting $1.4 million in scholarship offers. I mean, like talk about a return on investment when it comes to investing in your test score to get you scholarships. Speaking of return on investment, I have to ask you this, you know, we've heard over the last uh, 20 minutes, Sean, about lots of twists and turns in your life about some fortuitous things that happened, some things that you engineered that really went right for people listening What's the one thing that you did you see has been the lever that changed everything more than any other lever at all that you may encourage other people to do? Definitely. I think it was pitching on Shark Tank. I mean, there's no doubt. I didn't really need the investment to grow, like keep the business growing. We were operating on revenue and we were profitable. So everyone asked me like, you know, why did you go on Shark Tank? I would have given you the quarter million, you know, like uh, my buddies would be like, I'll, I'll get, I would have given you the quarter million. Like, why'd you go on Shark Tank? And it's like, that wasn't the point. The point was to obviously, I think the the marketing exposure is just incredible. I mean, we 10X'd our business. We've done $20 million in sales since Shark Tank. I mean, there is no better marketing machine in the world than Shark Tank. I mean, you get $10 million in free marketing exposure, 15 minutes on primetime ABC television as a commercial for your business. And so it's like, yeah, you could get a quarter million dollars from a seed investor or an angel investor anywhere. But if you do it on Shark Tank, your business is definitely going to explode. And so that was definitely the right move for me. Hey there, money lovers. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and welcome to my first trivia of our summer season. Here's a good, simple one to kick off these eight weeks. Which civilization was the first to stamp the image of a living person on their coins? I'll have your answer right after the break. I got to tell you what I've started doing, OG, and so has my daughter with her away luggage. Both of us have started personalizing our luggage. I saw somebody at the Dallas airport who had those stickers when they go to national parks or cool places and they stuck them on their bag. You're say 26.2. It, it, it doesn't. It doesn't. 13.1. 
I like the one that says 0.0. I don't run. Or the one that says like 23.8. I got lost. (laughs) Uh, That's good. No, mine. I, I actually have only picked up three of them so far. I got my first one at Indiana dunes. Haven't put that one on yet, but I just got them from Olympia when we went out to visit Nick for my twins birthday and also from Mount Rainier. By the way, I know you've been to Mount Rainier. Yep. I remember you saying how cool Mount Rainier is. It's really cool, huh? <laughs> it was such a great park. How, did you get up to the the park and en- I mean the park entrance is where you cross the threshold, but did you get to the Ranger Hut that's, you know, 3000 more feet up the mountain? At uh, Camp Mir? No, it was super cloudy and after doing a nice long hike to Muir, Muir is the 10,000 foot one, right? I'm talking about like paradise, which is at like 5,000. Oh yeah. Yeah. Paradise was loaded with people. Yeah. That thing was crazy. Packed, with people. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Tons and tons of people, but no, that's as far as we went. In fact, we spent so much time though on our first hike going up to Comet Falls, which by the way, a guy said we got up to the falls. It was so cloudy. We're walking up toward the falls. We see this little waterfall. We're like, Oh, that's it. And then, and then we go, nope, it's the one behind that that was still in the mist because it was so foggy there. And we walk toward that one and we get up to that. We start taking pictures of that. And Nick goes, uh, dad, it's the one behind that, which was monster huge. <laughs> and it looked like we got up there and this older guy said, he's like, yeah, the waterfall's further out. This is just water falling out of the sky. Cause you couldn't see the top of the waterfall because it was so foggy. Oh, cool. Oh, it was so beautiful. It was fantastic. But anyway, I'm putting stickers all over my away luggage. That's not why I like it. I like the fact that away makes affordable, high quality suitcases that also charge my phone when I'm sitting there waiting for my like plane. 17 times if you needed to. Isn't that amazing? We even did it at our Airbnb. I charged my phone and uh, was able to charge it on the way, charge it at the Airbnb, charge it on my way back. Never had to refill it. By cutting out the middleman, Away is also able to offer the perfect luggage made with high quality materials at a much lower price. You got all kinds of options. The carry-on, that's the one that Autumn, my daughter, has. The bigger carry-on, that's the one I have because I'm bigger. The medium or the large. Away is designed the perfect suitcase to make your travel experience stress-free. The carry-on bags are the ones that feature two USB ports and a high-capacity battery that allow you to charge multiple devices on the go, phones, tablets, laptops, whatever, so you never have to worry about a dead phone or have to fight for that outlet at the airport. They're ultra-durable, yet they're lightweight. They're made with premium impact-resistant German polycarbonate. I'm not sure what German polycarbonate is, but... Sounds important. It does. I'm sure it's it's uh, fantastic. It just... My mind has taken such a beating, and... Uh, Yeah, I've never had a piece of luggage I cared about before this one. Smooth ride in any direction for 360-degree spinner wheels that won't get stuck or break. It's theft-proof with TSA-approved combination locks built in to keep your belongings safe. And even overpackers like me on the way home when I'm trying to fit the two bottles of wine in from uh, this cool winery we found called Airfield. Were you the one, by the way, that told me about the Woodenville whiskey where you can make your own whiskey? Nope but I'm interested. Well, it's funny because I was going to get it for you, but the thing is just absolutely huge. And there was no way I was going to be able to pack that in. But I thought if there was a gift that anybody liked, it was that. So even though I had the bigger carry on, I probably needed the next bigger size to get you that. I shouldn't have even told you that because I still might get it for you in some case. It was really neat. Comes with a lifetime warranty. If anything breaks, a way it's going to fix or replace it for life. 
risk-free 100-day trial period. If at any point you decide it's not for you, return it for a full refund, no questions asked. Away has a special officer, special officer. Please head arms. That's pretty good. Way is a special officer who's going to help you buy this. Put your hands on the dashboard, sir. <laughs> they have a, they have a, spe- you say that like, you know, what happens then? Sir, step away from the candy machine. <laughs> away is a special offer. That's what it is. Just for listeners to Stacky Benjamins for $20 off a suitcase. Go to awaytravel.com forward slash SB20 and then use promo code SB20 at checkout. And you're getting 20 bucks off. Plus, get free shipping anywhere in the lower 48 states. That's awaytravel.com forward slash SB20, promo code SB20. Welcome back, trivia fans. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. You know, the best part of a summer holiday? Having leftovers for days. Who needs to cook when you have a near-endless supply of burgers and beans and chips and sausages? While those heat up for me, let's get you some piping hot trivia. Here was the question. Which civilization was the first to stamp the image of a living person on their coins? And the answer? If you said Bostonians, you're totally wrong. If you answered the Romans, you'd be right. Julius Caesar's mug showed up on a coin beginning in 44 B.C. Get it right? Feel free to dig into some pie. Get it wrong? That means you're on cleanup duty. The basement hasn't seen a cleanup in weeks, so report to Joe's mom for instructions immediately. See ya! You know, Sean Patel is proof OG that it isn't... I mean, don't get me wrong. Maybe in some points... We start with the disadvantage, but Sean Patel had every disadvantage and he's got Mark Cuban on speed dial. Better yet, I love the fact that Cuban has him on speed dial once a week. Imagine you're hanging out with your friends and you're like, yeah, hey, I got to talk to my buddy, Mark Cuban, for a few (laughs) minutes. Yeah, right. It's so amazing. And it isn't even having him, it's having his network. And this is what I've told people when I counsel them about business, OG, that it isn't it isn't so much about that person. Like, you know, they say it's who, you know, but it isn't even who, you know, it's who those people know. Like, like having Mark Cuban on your team, isn't about having Mark Cuban. It's about having all Mark Cuban's people on your team. It's the power of networking. It's that compounding relationships, just like we compound money. The more your network is, the more that expanded network looks can only help. It is. It's so amazing. Thanks to Sean for stopping by. Hey, let's throw out the Haven Lifeline OG and tackle some of life's most important questions. Our friends at Haven Life Insurance Company, they put what you value first. In the summertime, baseball and hot dogs. There it is. I just got a text from a mutual friend of ours who is at the Pawtucket Red Sox AAA team sitting first row right behind home plate. And it's quarter hot dog night. (laughs) So Doug's going to be all hot dogged up, huh? <laughs> well, Doug's here oh, with us. Sorry, you mean a friend. But our mutual friend is, and I'm like, uh, yeah, you're not going to put Like Kobayashi. <laughs> yeah, hot dogs and baseball are two great ones, but how about your loved ones and your time with a hot dog and baseball? Mm-hmm. It's why they may buy quality term life insurance. Actually, simple. Head to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash Haven Life now for a free quote. 
Their application simple and online. You get instant coverage decision. Their prices are affordable. And of course, they offer their insurance through Mass Mutual, more than 160-year-old insurer. Today, we're going to throw out the Haven Lifeline to our friend Biff. Say hi, Biff. Hey, Joe. No, geez, Biff from Virginia Beach. First off, Joe, you got to try that egg burger, man. They're delicious. Secondly, you should both try peanut butter burger. They're very tasty as well. Question, at what point do the wife and I stop locking up money into 401ks because our future expenses are covered and we don't want to have to play by the IRS rules later on down the road? Background, married 25 years, we're in our mid-40s, both very healthy, two kids, both colleges paid for. I retired from the military. I earn about 58K a year in retirement, so that's inflation adjusted, cheap health insurance, et cetera. Net worth just over 600K. Yearly expenses between 38 to 52, that varies. We live in a very reasonable home that we could pay off tomorrow, the kind of place that other folks would be surprised that we live here if they knew our finances. The wife works, enjoys her job, earns about 45K. I work a post-military job, earn about six figures. I'll probably do that for another two to three years. So the question is, once again, at what point do we stop putting the money in the 401ks, but take the bigger federal tax hit, but also get to spend a little bit more money each year if we want to? Not that we want to. That's the question. Tell mom we said hello and to buy you guys the board game Carcassons. It's the best. Oh, have you played that game, OG? I haven't, no. You have to. You have to pay attention to the farmers. That's the clue to that game. Watch what he's doing with the farmers. You're playing Carcassonne. Great game, Biff. I'm with you on that one. Uh, You kind of lost me at the peanut butter burger, but maybe I can come around on that. With a peanut allergy in my household, not a lot of peanut butter going downrange here, but... uh... I like how he gave us a, uh, like a, like a patrol order as he was going through. I I knew as soon as he was bullet pointing things, he's going to say retired military. (laughs) I could tell the demeanor. So we've got the facts. What are you thinking, OG? This is a great case of what else is there to do? You know, if your annual expenses are 40, 50, 60 grand and your pensions 60 grand and your spouse makes 50 grand and you make a hundred grand and you say, Oh yeah, I wish we could spend a little bit more. You can, you've got $200,000 against 50,000 of expenses. Like what else do you want to buy an airplane or like what, like what if you're saying like, how do I manufacture another $5,000 a year of travel expenses? Make it happen, man. You're right. Like I think from if, if your fast forward expenses are $50,000 a year and your military pension is 60000 a year and you think that for any time in the future, you'll have two incomes, your pension and your spouse's income. Yeah, I think you got to save some of it just to keep that muscle good. You know, it's like exercise, even though if you're in shape, you got to still do it. But if you want to let off the gas of savings in order to enjoy a little bit more, I don't know why you wouldn't do that. Uh, well, I, and I hate to call you wrong like four times in an episode. It's kind of getting tiring. But the uh, but but I, but I think you got his question wrong, dude. I think what he's talking about is saving into a tax shelter. I'm with him. At this point, I would make sure that you've built up a flexibility account. I mean, the cool thing about a flexibility account is as long as you're okay with paying the piper a little more money, that is the ultimate place to save. Because if you don't care about what the tax hit is, you can then yank that money for any purpose you desire at any time without having to worry about 
a big, huge hit outside of maybe a capital gains tax on whatever that position made while you held it. I think that's where he was going with that was saving inside the 401k versus saving into just a regular brokerage account. Well, if that's the question, then I'm with you as well. I I mean, I think the trade-off is, do I want to have an extra 20 cents on the dollar in my account, which is the, to say the tax deferral amount in exchange for the IRS mandating distributions that will be in the millions of dollars. You're, you know, it's a net worth 600,000, maybe 300s a house and 300s your TSP, let's say, I don't know. I mean, if you're in your mid forties, that 300,000 easily turns into 2 million between now and 72. The flexibility of having the money in a brokerage account or a shoebox in the backyard kind of trumps a lot of stuff. So if you're okay with the increased taxes and you can afford it, which you can, yeah, do that. Yeah. And is it, is it really going to be, I mean, it's 20 cents on the dollar going in, but he's going to pay part of that on the way out. And because of his, well, yeah, because of his age, he's not going to get, I mean, he'll get some money, but it's not going to be the full 20. Let's say he pays 15 on the way out. Sure. He'll get to invest 20% more because of the fact that he's, uh, well, that's the power it. of tax deferral in general is that you get to use OPM for a while. You get to use other people's money for a while. It's the government's money technically, and you pay them on the back end. But just like you said, if you're ahead of your financial goals and, you, and you've got it all licked and you want the flexibility, then of course, let's put it in the brokerage account and grow that thing like crazy. Right. No, I totally, I totally agree. I mean, he could go Roth IRA if he wanted also. Yeah, depending on the income, Roth 401k, which would be kind of a combination of both of those things. You're getting it in the retirement account, but it's also a a Roth, you know, so it's still quasi flexible. Uh, There's a lot of different options here, but from a, uh, from a goal standpoint, it sounds like pretty enviable situation. Yeah. Nice job saving Biff. uh, And thank you for your service and uh, Carcassonne. Yes. uh, Eggburger, man, I'm, I get that the majority said that, OG, but still not down with that. More for me. We also get letters down here in the basement. And uh, we just had somebody, by the way, this week send us a letter, which is why I try to say this every show now. We're no longer accepting letters, unfortunately, because... (laughs) I like the letter that we got sent that was not in the letter section, but was a letter. (laughs) Yes. Did you see that one? Yes. People trying to get those letters through. Sneaking them around. It's like, like, if I slide it under the door, maybe they'll... Doesn't come Excellent. in the mailbox. Read it with a microphone running, and I'll get there. Yeah, probably not. The issue is, is that we had to stop taking letters because we couldn't keep up. Yeah. And so, uh, call the Haven Lifeline, stackybedjamins.com forward slash voicemail, and you can be as cool as Biff. And if you want one, we will send you a greatest money show on earth t shirt to go along with it. This letter, though, uh, as we finish out the mailbag, comes to us from Matthew. Matthew says, hi, thanks for the show. I'm getting a lot out of it. I recently listened to your episode, How Do I Pay Off My College Debt? You mentioned a team of fund managers called Fuller and Thaler. I looked them up and found the Fuller and Thaler Behavior Small Cap Fund, which has a 1.14% expense ratio. (laughs) That is quite high compared to the rest of my Vanguard and Fidelity (laughs) funds. Can you see me? This This is the one you wanted to go out on? Can, I like can it. you see the rocket on my head? Every time we do one of these on Afford Anything, when I'm helping Paula with hers, she's like, I did this because I want to see your face turn red. 
Uh, th that's quite high compared to the rest of my Vanguard Fidelity funds, but I reviewed the performance over the last few years compared to the Fidelity small cap index fund, whose expense ratio is 0 0.25. And the Fuller and Thaler fund appears to have consistently outperformed the Fidelity small cap fund. And even at multiple times, outperformed the S&P. What? That can't happen. Nobody can beat the market, I thought. No, you can't beat it. Cheaper means better. Okay. And if you don't believe it, we're going to take out the hammer again. Just so you know. Is this if the you, growth fund or the equity fund? I can't remember. What did you say? It's 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 the small cap. Well, they're both small cap. Oh, uh, whichever one has a 1.14%. I don't have it open. I just have the letter open here. Okay, carry on. According to Fidelity, I, I should say, according to him, it has a 1.14% expense ratio because I, I haven't looked. Once I saw what this letter's about, I'm ready to answer. Uh, according to Fidelity's comparison tool, $10,000 invested five years ago would now be $15,840 with Fuller and Thaler and only $14,410 with Fidelity Small Cap Index. <laughs> I, love, I love the fact that you're carrying on with this, but go ahead. I then put $10,000 with no yearly additions into an expense rate calculator with an of investment return of 8% and found the Fuller and Thaler would cost $759 more than the Fidelity small cap over that five years. But that still leaves me $671 ahead. I don't think it does. I think it leaves you the whole number ahead because of the fact that the uh, comparison tool is after expenses. I'm 99% sure. Not 100%, but I'm 99. Am I thinking about this the right way? Do you all feel that a well-managed fund like Fuller and Thaler can justify the expense? Am I thinking about this the right way? <sighs> Oh, God bless America. We are not, by the way, Matthew, just so you know, we're not laughing at you. We have gotten this question 50 million times. People that have listened to the show for a long time know why we're laughing. We're laughing because you have fallen into the question we hate the most. This is the question beyond any other that we don't like, because this is not why people fail. This is not why people fail. You do not fail. You will never during your retirement say, I paid $757 more and that completely f***ed up my retirement. <laughs> you will never say that. Hmm. Something, ain't it? So what do you think? <laughs> I think about what? I think, <laughs> I think that... Um, this has been the weirdest show. I don't even know what to say. All I know is that when I pulled up the fact sheet on this fund, it like says a big bold type, true active management, which is like the trigger of all triggers for a lot of people. So they definitely know their audience and who their audience is not. So they, they literally advertise at the very top, 94% active share, true active management. Come and get some, come and get some. <laughs> You know, so, but Professor Thaler uh, does have a Nobel Prize, so I don't, neither do you, neither do uh, most people in the world. So, you know, maybe it's the Nobel Prize fee. Well, that's what I was going to say. He's got a Nobel Prize. The people running the dimensional funds have a Nobel Prize. Does that mean that if you actually do some research about your manager, you might actually end up in the ballpark of an index fund and... You might have a shot at beating him. Don't say you it. Might, no, you it's might, not possible. You have, no, you can't, can't do it. Mom's going to bring down the hammer. She's going to hit me on the head if I say that again. You must invest all of your money in an index fund. 
What's that? Uh, isn't that that Lexus commercial? Or no, it's an Audi commercial where everybody's driving the white SUVs. <laughs> the Audi guy pulls out in the black SUV and he's going the opposite way. <laughs> I'm sure that's what it is. Uh, goodness gracious. The is. Here's what I really think. I think that you should look at the expenses of any tool that you're using, whether you're hiring a painter, a baker, candlestick maker, an investment manager. And I think you should review the performance, recognizing that there's no statistical evidence of the persistence of said performance. But once you get across the goal line of, well, there's 25 years worth of data here, there's some good years and some not so good years and some good years and some not so good years, but on par, pretty good years. You take that into consideration. There's no proof that that'll happen in the future. In fact, you know, you're talking about dimensional. So one of the guys that's over there at uh, dimensional who kind of has the biggest, I don't know, claim to fame, I guess, is Professor Fema from University of Chicago. He would be the first to tell you that, hey, even though my research has shown these factors affect long-term performance, I have no basis to suggest that it will be true in the future. I can just tell you that it's happened in the past. So, you know, that's true too. But I think that it's important to look at expenses. I think it's important to look at the style of the portfolio, the manager and their temperament. And then make your decision based on that. But here's the other problem. Even though you give yourself a chance to beat the index, I think you have to pay attention a little more because you have to make sure that that management team stays intact. And then number two, you have to make sure that that management team doesn't go cray cray on you. You know? Well, yeah, because the better they do, the more money they attract, the more they have to deploy, and they may not be able to do the things that made them successful up till now, they may not be able to repeat that because they have a higher volume of assets to deal with. And by rule, they have to invest a certain amount of their portfolio, whether they like the idea or not. And that's, that's you kind of run some trouble there. We saw a few weeks ago in that Brent Aaron's piece, that's a big reason why active managers fail mm-hmm. is because when they start attracting all those assets, even if they don't want to put money in, they have to deploy it. So, right. Uh, who knows? But I would not are- get my uh, retirement plan skivvies in a bunch over 700 bucks. That will not be the reason that you... I mean, this was the same thing. I, I saw this on Twitter the other day. Talk about getting triggered. I didn't get a reply. I was actually expecting a reply because it was a pretty well-read thread. So the person said, I can't invest in my 401k because the fees are too high. One point whatever percent. Does anybody out there have any better alternatives to my 401k other than that? And about 95% of the options were, yeah, they suck. Yeah, go get them. You'll show them. Ha ha ha. Thieves aren't getting any of your money. Like it's stuff like that. And I'm <laughs> and and I go, so yeah, the let's say they're double, right? You're paying one and a half percent on 10 grand that goes in instead of 0.7 or whatever, one instead of half or whatever number you want to use, but you're getting a 3% match. You make a hundred thousand dollars a year. That would give you three grand and you're belly aching about 150 bucks. And I understand that that matters. You know, it, it, it does count for something. It's money. But when you're comparing, should I give away 3000 bucks in exchange for not having to pay 150? Oh, also PS there is no retirement vehicle in which you can save 
$18,000 a year that's tax sheltered, et cetera, et cetera. Like what, how is that an issue? It's okay. Separate thing. Go talk to HR, fix the fun lineup, crusade against that. Like do all that too. But to like martyr yourself on the hill of I'll show them. I just won't be prepared for retirement. (laughs) I'll get them. I didn't retire. I'm going to, I'm going to work here till I'm 90 in your face. Exxon. <laughs> if you'd made the 401k better, you could have gotten rid of me sooner. No. Hold my teeth. If you've got, you got it's, you know, there's that joke about the, oh yeah, hold my beer. You know, that's what you say when you're 86 and you're still working on the line at the auto manufacturer because you, you, you died on the hill of, I'll show them. And there's those, it's greedy SOBs on Wall Street aren't getting my 1% internal expense ratio. Well, at the auto manufacturer, come on, let's be real. You got downsized before that. That's true. Yeah. I can tell from personal experience, personal family experience that that happens all too often, unfortunately. Thanks for the question, Matthew. Again, uh, y- yes, your your thinking is right. It, to summarize all of that. Kind yes. of. Kind of. Correct. Directionally. That's going to do it for today. Three things to uh, clean house here at the end of the day. We're putting on a show here in Detroit. We've got the Playing With Fire documentary. We've got the documentary creator, Scott Rickens, co-creator, that is, who's going to be coming to town. We've got all of the Detroit uh, personal finance peeps, all of our friends. We'll have uh, a bunch of our friends that we've met at meetups just thinking about how much fun our meetups have been so far in Detroit, uh, whether it was Grant Sabatier coming to town, the basketball meetup, our live show. This is going to be fantastic. How about at the Maple Theater on July 16th, you and I together watching the and OG, watching the uh, Playing With Fire documentary, and then a Q&A with Scott Rickens, OG. We'll have Dorothea Kelly there. We'll have Cat Alford there. We'll have Andy Hill there. We're going to have a lot of our friends who will be there to answer questions, have a good time. We might have a uh, after party afterward for people that can stick around later. We're going to have a blast. Where do you get tickets? StackyBenjamins.com forward slash fire movie. That's StackyBenjamins.com forward slash fire movie. This movie has sold out everywhere it's been. It's going to sell out here So if you're thinking about getting tickets, you want to get your tickets yesterday, because uh, even as I say this, I'm not sure how many are left because we're recording this smidge early. So stackingbenjamins.com forward slash fire movie. Second, you're somebody looking for good financial help in your corner. I haven't said this for several weeks because he wasn't taking clients for a while, but OG's got the door open again for a little bit. So if you need good help in your corner, the way to get on his team's calendar to talk about that is stackingbenjamins.com forward slash OG. Lastly, thanks to everybody who's left us a review of this here podcast. It warns people what they're getting into when they listen to the Stacky Benjamin show. And we've got a great one that mom's put on her fridge right here. This one by Mike McD, 1970. Five-star review, dot, dot, dot. Wait, low score is the best, right? (laughs) I love that. Joe OG and the team never fail to entertain and enlighten. Great topics, terrific guests, and a fantastic rotation of regulars. Paula Pant, Lempenzo, and the real star of the show, Neighbor Doug. 
One of the few podcasts along with Paulus Afford Anything that'll keep you coming back like Margarita Night at the Sizzler. I think I definitely agree with that. Our our show pairs nicely with Paula's. Paula's much more in-depth than ours. Ours is uh, much more of an introduction to personal finance. So I thought you were going to say we paired nicely with margaritas. Well, we do that too. We probably do that better. <laughs> yeah. Good stuff. Thanks for that. Mom's got that one on the fridge. She's so very proud. Uh, that's going to do it for today, guys. We'll see you back here on Wednesday. Maybe not as weird a show as today. Thanks to everybody who left us letters. Doug, take it from here, man. What should we have learned today? Sure thing, Joe. I'll help you out on this one. First, take some advice from Sean Patel. Stop overthinking what you need for success and just get moving. By taking action, Sean has been able to achieve some pretty remarkable things, and you can too. And the path always begins with taking that first step. Second, thinking about hiring an advisor? Don't just take the advisor's word for things. Look up their record on places like BrokerCheck or, uh, you know, the CFP board. As Mom says, whenever it comes to your financial future, nobody cares about your money more than you. It's great to have pros helping, but as Mom also says, trust but verify. Where have I heard that before? Anyway, hey, the big lesson? Don't use food analogies around OG when talking about the show. No, dessert isn't being served, OG. That's, uh, well, yeah, okay. Well, we'll serve you a dessert in a minute. Special thanks to Sean Patel for joining us. You'll find out more about Sean and his company, PrepExpert.com, on our show notes page at StackingBenjamins.com. This show was created by Joe Salcihai, produced by Richie Rutter-Reese, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Online, visit us on Twitter at at SBenjamin'sCast or on our Facebook page. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and if you could only know what it really smells like down here. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remuneration. There's no way you would take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only, and before making any financial moves, consult with a real financial advisor. I've got a real backlog of movies that I've seen lately. This one stars two people. You've heard of before Mindy Kaling and Emma Thompson. This is called late night. She was the first female late night talk show host on a major network winning 43 Emmy awards. Ladies and gentlemen, Catherine Newberry. Catherine, do you think women are funny? Funny is funny. As long as you're white male and from an elite college, like your writing staff. 
We need to hire a woman. Would a gay guy work? No. So you have no experience in comedy? I'm obsessed with comedy. I do a little stand-up. Where? If you have a problem, ask the chemist. She'll always have the solution. <laughs> uh, you're hired. If it doesn't work out, which you probably won't, you'll be gone. Are you okay? I'm so happy. I feel sick. I came to tell you this year is your last. What? Who are you? I'm a new writer. A new female writer. Yeah, I can see that, Brad. Think about why the show is bad. She's coming back. Don't push me. And come up with ways to fix it. The headline of my analysis is complacency. I'll tell you what doesn't work. A newcomer coming in and giving me her assessment of my comic persona. I will not be marginalized because no one here looks like me. She's not trying to silence your strong female woman of color spirit. Hashtag me too, blah, blah, blah. You're a new writer with no experience. Write something. Okay. <laughs> She's not trying to silence you. Wow. Write something. This is a, a movie that in a time when we see lots of superhero movies, I'm just going to cut to the chase today, OG, is a welcome addition because... I am just so tired of seeing the same movie over and over and over. And don't get me wrong. This is the same movie that we used to see sometimes back around 2007. And I like the setup. You've seen it before. Everything's going great. Something goes horrible about three quarters of the way through the movie. Well, things kind of start off pretty rocky. Like you heard in the trailer, uh, she gets hired, not because of any writing acumen, but because she's in the right place at the right time. It happens to be the right gender. And because of that, she gets a job and then she struggles to keep that job. She ends up uh, making herself useful and uh, the movie goes from there. I just saw a movie by Emma Thompson's uh, ex-husband, Kenneth Branagh, about uh, Shakespeare's last days alive. And I got to tell you, if this movie and that movie are any indicators of how their lives are going, Emma Thompson's is going way better <laughs> than his is. Because this movie, this movie was way, 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 way more fun to sit through. And you know what? Might not be your kind of movie. I like it because I like the talk show vibe. As, as you know, OG, I love the late night talk thing. Uh, I watch all of those. I like the morning drive stuff. I think everybody's listened to the show for a while probably knows all those things already. So I'm just interested in the topic. But even if that's not your kind of thing, if you're on a flight, there are going to be far worse choices than watching this movie. It was a, it was a fun, fun use of time. And uh, definitely for me, one of my favorite movies of the year, but I'm, I'm pretty inclined to like this kind of thing, but I think you will too. Maybe not as much as I did. OG, but I think that you'll like it too. Maybe. Well, Stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is Military Appreciation Month that I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law, Eric, who is such a giving person. Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine, you can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees 
are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans, and all branches of the military, veterans, DOD employees, and their families are eligible for Navy federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy federal website, resources like best cities after service to help veterans transition to civilian life and best careers for military spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org celebrate and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.